This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 326 of the Yellow Wall Pods. I'm your host Stefan Butzko and today we will talk about the anticlimactic end of the Bundesliga title race and Dortmund letting out their frustrations on last place Paderborn, hopefully. For that and more, join me Matthias Suk. Hello Matthias, how are you doing? Hello Stefan, I'm doing well today, how are you? I am doing fine myself, thank you very much and also here... Lars Pollmann, hello Lars, how are you? Hello Stefan, I'm not gonna lie to you, I have a beer open next to me, but it's not a commentary on Dortmund's performance against Bayern, it's just been a fairly long day for me here in Germany. So, you enjoy your firearm beer, and uh, in the meantime I will announce that this episode is sponsored by the Borussia Dortmund fan club London, and the big shout out goes to George Clark for his generosity. Uh, I want to thank all our patrons for their continued support. This is uh, really helping out a lot. And uh, if you want to also sponsor an episode, go to patreon.com slash wall for more information. And uh, I think that is pretty much all the housekeeping we have to do. And I guess we can delve right into uh, the 1-0 loss against Bayern Munich, which was obviously very painful. And uh, yeah, as I said, in the intro, also very anticlimactic. Um, Lars, you were bigging up the Yellow Wall Pod on the Stahlcast before the game, and you, I think, had a John Dahoud double pivot or uh, uh, the Dahoud and Delaney double pivot on your wish list. Um, overall, were you happy with the lineup that uh, Lucien Favre picked for this uh, very vital game? Yeah, I mean, I didn't think there was any debate really beforehand. And, you know, the, the debate afterwards with uh, the likes of Lothar Matthäus uh, going in on Favre for not selecting uh, John and Jaden Sancho to start uh, so the game. I'm so sorry, I, I, I missed that here in the United <coughs> States. Sorry, uh, oh. too bad. Couldn't couldn't see or hear what Lothar Matthäus said. Mm, uh. Anyway, continue. <laughs> Well, what I was going to say is that, you know, this this post-game debate kind of seemed like typical hindsight 2020 stuff to me because Dortmund had won both of their games after lockdown ended in relatively convincing fashion with the same starting lineup. Uh, both Chan and Sancho, who are obviously the two previous subs who were closest to the starting 11 in terms of their general ability they are quite clearly not fit uh you can see that in the cameo appearances especially of sancho i think john looks closer to uh, match fitness than than the englishman so the the only questions before the game were uh, about the availability of hummels and on match day there were some rumblings about pishek potentially having some problems uh physically but i mean when 
those two were declared to be ready to go. Uh, I didn't have any qualms with what Favre did in terms of his team selection. And I, I think uh, especially the first half performance also doesn't really lend itself to uh, too much criticism, in my opinion. I think while they didn't you know, do enough to wrestle the title away from Bayern or whatever, uh, I, I don't think this was necessarily the kind of performance after which you would have a go at the, the head coach for quote-unquote obviously getting something wrong in terms of a selection. I don't think that was the case. Yeah, I think we can uh, talk about this a little bit later too, um, Matthias. Um, how happy were you with the first half performance? Obviously, um, two minutes before the break, uh, Joshua Kimmich scored that chip. But otherwise, um, I, I think there was a game played on a very high level, right? Especially in the first yeah. like, 40 minutes. Absolutely. It, it, I I don't like Joshua Kimmich for so many reasons, but also because I hate when someone makes me delete something I was going to tweet and <laughs> and rewrite it uh, because I was about to say just before the ball went or I was I was prepping it and saying, you know, as far as an analysis that it was for a scoreless first half, very good 45 minutes of Bundesliga football from two teams pretty much on equal pegging. Uh, Dortmund, there was a true ebb and flow to the game. You had two um, goal line clearances. Granted, the Dortmund one was a little... When Dortmund had to clear it, I think it was Piszczek, uh, that was significantly more dramatic. Uh, you know, the, Beck the here roll clear, just, just for the, yeah, the real. <laughs> the, the, the roller that uh, Boateng had to clear, you know, was a little more comfortable. But still, it was there. There were opportunities. There were chances. Uh, it was very aggressive. Um, I... I, I share Lucien Favre's total annoyance uh, in the press conference post-match when he was read a question from a journalist who said, well, given that Bayern clearly were better physically and more aggressive and stronger than Dortmund, and Lucien Favre said, well, I guess you watched a different match than I did. And I agree with that. I don't think Dortmund were out-muscled and outpowered in this match in that sense. Um, so it was a very, I thought a very good 45 minutes, unfortunately marred by Kimmich with, uh, a moment of brilliance. And that's, that's really what that comes down to. It was a great goal by, uh, one of the most, lo most loathsome Bayern players on the pitch, but he's a really good footballer. So, um, yeah, that was, it was annoying to go into half, uh, with that after having played well And, um, you know, probably on the full 90, especially when you throw in the, and I'm sure you're, you want to get to it eventually, the non-VAR <laughs> uh, penalty that was absolutely a penalty um, that, you know, I, I felt after the match that given how Dortmund played and how Bayern played, and I, I just feel like a draw may have been a more just result. That being said... I can't necessarily say that Bayern didn't deserve to win, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, if you go through the stats, it's all pretty even. I mean, you have four to three corners, you have 11 to 16 crosses, you have 790 to 753 touches. Dortmund had, I think, 2% more possession, um, 16 to 14 tackles, 13 to 4 interceptions, blah, 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 blah. I think shots, it was like 13 to uh, 12 And, and I think Bayern had one shot more on target or even the same amount um, in uh, terms of expected goals. According to Stats Bomb, both had 0.8. 
So um, if we want to look at statistics where both teams were really um, apart, it's maybe the non-shot expected goals where uh, Bayern, I think, were up 2.39, where there's uh, 0.93. That's uh, via the uh, Twitter account Statified Football. And uh, apparently these days that tells you something a bit more uh, when the expected goal values uh don't really uh, are all that conclusive and uh, I think there was one statistic that really uh, jumped out to me a little bit and uh, was actually talking to Adam Dorowski about it but he didn't really know what to make of it and that, that was um, the, uh, the 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 process um, which is on uh, fbref.com you can find it a uh, number of times applying pressure to opposing player who is receiving carrying or releasing the ball this statistic and Dortmund produced within 19 minutes 95 of these situations and Bayern had 175 so I think that's a little bit indicative of uh, the fact that Bayern managed to outpress Dortmund and were a little bit aggressive overall I, I think especially those last five minutes before halftime where uh, Dortmund really were uh, sort of stranded around their own box and obviously uh, you know I think was it like two or three consecutive clearances then that eventually led to the goal um You, you can see that there were moments where you were hoping for um, Dortmund to, to have a little bit more power, but obviously Bayern Munich are just such a good team. And I do feel that they're, you know, a bit fitter here and there. And may, maybe we can talk about the team behind the team uh, in, in respective ways for Dortmund and Bayern in the sense that uh, Bayern players overall were fitter for this game or maybe it was just poor luck for Dortmund that... Uh, You know, Thomas Delaney didn't have air for 90 minutes. Jane Sancho didn't have air for 90 minutes. Uh, Emre Can, Axel Witzel either. So obviously that's that's a major deficit. Uh, that's very, really hard to make up in, in the game where where it's really, you know, wire to wire. But um, yeah, I don't I don't know. That's that's a discussion or a conversation for someone else to have. That's an expertise or an insight I personally don't have. But, uh, you know, I, I thought the statistic was interesting. Now, um, before we talk about the second half and so all the uh, VAR non-calls or whatever, um, Lars, I, I really have to say that I'm a little bit disappointed and, and sad that Julian Brandt had the game he had um, because there were a couple of instances, I think maybe two or three, where he could have played the perfect through ball and... Uh, just picked out the Bayern defender or the ball went just completely wayward or, or whatever. Um, I think there was one particular cross uh, he just hit into the stands. So what did you make out of his performance and was it the correct decision to take him off at the break? Well, he was poor. I mean, I think you could argue he was the weakest link in Dortmund's uh, play going forward. Um Would I have taken him off? Probably not, especially not for this Jaden Sancho at the moment, because I think it's quite visible that he's just not nowhere anywhere close to, you know, being fit enough to make a real impact even off the bench for 45 minutes against this Bayern side. So I think I would have pro probably um, preferred to make that substitution a bit later, maybe uh, Brandt would have gathered himself in the second half. Uh, I think with his performances ever since Dortmund have moved to the back three and he's gotten more freedoms uh, creatively, I think it would have been 
I think he has kind of uh, earned the benefit of the doubt in a sense that it might have been more sensible for Favre to keep him on the pitch in, in, in the hopes of him getting it right in the second half because he's been so influential in pretty much every attacking move Dortmund have made since uh, lockdown has ended. So I think there, there was potentially an opportunity for him to uh, get back into the groove of things. And as I said before, given how Sancho is operating at the moment, there was uh, not, not really an advantage they gained either through that sub or through bringing on John for Delaney, who I think had a very strong first half. So in a sense, Dortmund got weaker despite making two substitutions at halftime, which is not ideal. And, and to me, it also seemed like the energy levels actually dropped with two new players on the pitch. Uh, that is also very much not ideal. So... Uh, especially with Sancho, but also with Haaland not be, not really being in the game, it kind of felt at, at times Dortmund were playing with one or two players uh, less on the pitch than Bayern were. And I think that contributed to Bayern being much more comfortable in the second half, uh, especially early on than they were at any point in the first half. Yeah, I think I will very much agree on all the points you just made and, and really also the only mild criticism I would level at Favre because I can I can completely understand his train of thought. Um, you know, I think especially in games against Bayern, if a player is not really doing well, he likes to pull the trigger. I mean, he subbed off Jaden Sancho uh, in the game against November rather uh, early and obviously um, Julian Brandt didn't have a good game. But, uh, you know, I agree with you. I think... I would have also just given him the benefit of the doubt, especially in the second half, the situations that Brandt had where he uh, was in a position to play a poor pass or whatever. Uh, I don't remember too many of these situations reoccurring in the second half, so that sort of speaks for the um, you know potential that, that Brandt had that uh, Dortmund couldn't reproduce with other players on the field. Um, I can definitely see that you want to uh, take Delaney off because I thought, especially in the last five or six minutes before the halftime um, he was running a little bit on fumes and the aggression he showed before and the uh, tenacity let's put it this way wasn't uh, quite on display but I feel like uh, if you have a 15 minute break uh, Thomas Delaney can get out there for another 10 or 15 or so minutes so um, yeah it's it's a bit disappointing in that sense but uh, I can definitely understand uh, why Lucien Favre made these moves. I can also understand why you want to bring Emre Can on at halftime because he's also a very aggressive uh, person and, uh, you know, you want him to settle into the game and, uh, you know, putting him on at halftime in that regard can help. So, um, yeah, not ideal in the end and didn't turn out as, as you want, but... Uh, I don't want to be too harsh on Lucien Favre for those two halftime substitutions. Uh, how do you see it, Matthias? Well, I mean, Twitter being Twitter, uh, a lot of people said Dortmund lost because Favre's uh, man management and substitutions or that taking Brandt off cost Dortmund the game. I mean, I'm with you. I think that's 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 more than a little harsh. That's extraordinarily harsh and narrow-minded from people who just have their mind made up about Lucien Favre. No matter what the man does, it's just bad. Um, given how Brandt played and, you know, the passing, uh, sorry, the pressing stat that you talked about was really interesting because the goal kind of 
showed that in those last few minutes. A, Bayern pressing very effectively, which led to the situation coming about, and then Brandt just kind of looking at Kimmich. Uh, I think didn't was it? I can't remember if it was you, Stefan, or you, Lars, who said, uh, you know, the the Kimmich force field keeping keeping Brandt away, and and that's. Uh, that kind of that's why I could see why Favre did that and maybe thought, okay, Brunt's maybe getting a little bit tired and so on. I could have I mean you maybe could have argued to bring on Gutze instead of Sancho, but that's really hard to say at this point, given what Sancho's been producing over the last two seasons versus necessarily uh, Gutze specifically this season. So I can't fault him for the substitution. It didn't quite come off, and that can happen. Uh, I don't, that's not the be all end all reason why at the end of the day, Bayern edged this one. Um, so I think that's, I'm with you there that it's a little, bit, a little bit harsh. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's just a tragedy really for Dortmund that uh, in this particular game, uh, I don't know if Jaden Sancho gained the quarantine 15 or whatever it's called, or uh, whether he was just a little. Uh, uh, out of sorts because of the calf injury, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, but uh, overall, if uh, you have this game and you are number one or the Bundesliga's leading contributor in goals and assists uh, next to Robert Lewandowski, um, you obviously want to have him on the pitch and, and, and completely fit. I mean, Bayern Munich were um, without Niklas Süle and uh, Thiago, which are obviously also major in injuries. Um, but yeah, not having a fully fit Sancho hurts you, not having Marco Reus there hurts you, not having a fully fit Emre Can and Axel Witzel hurts you, so um, yeah, that's that's just bad luck, I guess, and uh, we can uh, talk all about it, but overall, I think we we also just have to highlight this, despite the uh, adversity that Dortmund faced, that they had a really great defensive performance, you know, I just mentioned Robert Lewandowski, and I think he hit that post uh, after Mats Hummels deflection, but otherwise he had a pretty quiet game for a Robert Lewandowski against Dortmund game because in the past he really punished them. So uh, I think since since he joined Bayern, he scored 14 goals against Dortmund or something like that. So uh, that was very painful. Um, Lars, um, just to, to please Adam Dorowski, can you please talk about the uh, great Lukas Piszczek performance that we saw and maybe highlight other performances that you really liked on a defensive standpoint? Yeah, I mean, I would actually start with Hummels, not Piszczek. I think Hummels had a fantastic game. Uh, deflecting that shot of Lewandowski might have cost him, you know, uh, a, a goal conceded, which, you know, wouldn't have really mattered because the game was basically done and dusted at that point, I would say. Um, but, but you know, he, he pretty much, I don't remember him losing a duel outside of his early booking, but with, with Hummels... I, I never get the the sense that he's going to get himself sent off for something stupid. Um, I mean, he has been sent off in, in his career before, but not very often for a player who's played so many games over the years. Uh, he was impeccable in the air, picked out a number of good passes. The only thing I didn't like was that he somehow ended up as their forward-most player in uh, a few counter-attacking situations in the first half. I don't know exactly what happened there. If he was... Uh, the vintage the right Felipe Santana move. <laughs> if, if if yeah, but it, it would be great if if it was the the vintage Lucio move because uh, the former Leverkusen Bayern man was actually good at it. 
Um, I don't know if he found himself in the wrong place at the right time, if you like, or if if he was just so exuberant against his former club or whatever. But oh, oh sorry, you meant you was, meant in the first half, probably when he was like uh, yeah, yeah. up front on on counter attacks. Yeah, sorry, I was thinking yeah. at like the last ten minutes when he was also just going up front. Sorry. No, no, he he was for some strange reason in in two or three occasions the the counter striker, if you like, and you know with his lack of pace. I think he also made a, a misplaced a pass towards, I want to say Dahoud, uh, in 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 a in a potential three on two kind of counter attacking situation. So that was a bit bad. But I mean, Hummels as a centre half and kind of uh, the the libero, if you like, in his back three, uh, he was really really something else and, and one of his best performances of the season, I would say. But also. Uh, not only to please Adam, but also to kind of say sorry because I forgot about him uh, in in a tweet review, if you like. Uh, Pischek was also really, really good and he's been great uh, after lockdown has ended for the most part anyway. Um, you don't really see at the moment him playing at right side of center back the age factor at all which is a good sign because he obviously signed a contract extension just last week so uh him being on this good kind of, kind of run of form especially after a nine weeks break where a lot of younger players seem to have issues with fitness uh and you you spoke about the quarantine 15 in terms of sancho i think uh Pischek for I don't know how he does it, but he seems to have a lower lower uh, fat percentage in his body still all the time. So I mean he's he's basically uh, people talked about Erling Haaland as the cyborg before the game, but the actual robot in Dortmund's team is Lukas Pischek. I mean his his physique for a is he thirty four or thirty five? I don't quite know. Uh, I mean that's that's goals, life goals. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Lars, uh, you have like uh, four years to to get to the Pischek level. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, no, no problem. <laughs> Matthias, I'm afraid for you. Uh, that point has already long passed, but I'm sure uh, at that age uh, you were just as well in shape. Um, oh, my, my goal is just to keep try to keep up with Tom Brady since we're the same age. So, <laughs> um, on, on so many levels, on so many levels to keep up with him. <laughs> um, well, no, I mean, I, I agree with, with, uh, what Lars said. And, and overall, the back three, um, you know, the last three matches, Akanji overall has played pretty solidly as well. So, I mean, there's really not much nitpicking one can, I mean, it is nitpicking at this point, but there's no like, oh my God, the back three was so bad. Uh, not at all, and and that was really pleasing to see against a very good uh, and fast Bayern side. Yeah, definitely. I mean, defensively, this performance was was really great. So all the more frustrating is that uh, Dortmund allowed the goal they allowed because um, in in so many ways that was avoidable. Uh, at first, obviously, you have to clear that ball in in so many better ways. Um, I think the the initial clearance was really uh, you know the the one to blame. I don't know who played it uh, or you know, but that that could have been easily dealt with, and then it just just stuck up front. And uh, yeah, Joshua Kimmich having that lob was a bit outrageous and obviously also very audacious. Um, but um, 
yeah, I'm not entirely pleased with how Roman Birki did there. Um, obviously, it's not an easy ball to save, far from it. But uh, I also think in in such a big match uh, with on on that stage uh, as the goalkeeper of Germany's or the Bundesliga's second best team, you need to be there to save that one. So um, yeah, I, I've I've been a little bit disappointed uh, with with that particular uh, failed save attempt. Um, I hold Roman Birki to a higher standard. Also, I think he has saved balls like that one before. I mean, he clearly got the hand to it and, you know, just, just got it wrong. So, um, yeah, Matthias, is this uh, a moment to start a Roman Birki discussion and saying no. that... No, okay. no, can I end the discussion now? No, no. <laughs> it's. I watched that goal a few times and, you know, yeah, had he been a half a step deeper... He would have saved it. It would have palmed it over the bar or whatever, or, you know, so be it. Um, his positioning overall wasn't wrong because a goalkeeper needs to anticipate the majority of shots and not the audacious one in a hundred attempt shots. And so the other thing he has to anticipate is that the, I don't know, a, 10 people ahead of him <laughs> that somebody would step in and put a little pressure on someone taking a shot from there while there were also defenders in the way. I think, um, I mean, I, I know you're not blaming Roman Bürki for that goal. I, the blame goes somewhere completely differently also from your arguments. Um, for those people that did blame Roman Bürki for the goal, including Steffen Freund, um, I just, I, I think honestly, that's a little lazy, uh, because you're not looking in, and, and there's that narrative that people still have in their brains that Roman Bucci isn't good. I mean, on one football, uh, today, they said that, you know, basically Schubert from Schalke is a better keeper than Bucci, and that's just a joke. <laughs> I mean, you can't honestly say that that Bürki makes way more mistakes than Schubert. I mean, that's then, then you're getting to the point where I can't take your opinion seriously anymore. Um, yeah, he, if he would have taken a step back a little bit earlier, he would have saved it. He didn't because he wasn't anticipating that shot and nobody did. Nobody could anticipate that shot. Uh, we should just take less away from the shot. Um, and, you know, more in the area of he should have just been pressed. I mean, Brandt was there. Brandt was right there and did nothing. Uh, and I have a bigger issue with that than necessarily a half a step forward or backward from Bürki in that situation. Well, I don't know if Julian Brandt realistically could have gotten there. Uh, may maybe he could have, since you know I expect him to to read the game quite well. But I mean, the the clearance was also uh, quite bad. I think that was from from Delaney just sort of poked it forward. Um, but uh, Lars, I do want to hear your take on uh, that Roman Birki save, and uh, I think you wrote something for Fußball.News on on that subject, and uh, I think it ended up a little bit inconclusive. Am I right there? Well, I I mean, I want to almost answer the question you posed to Matthias uh, about the do we need to have a Birki discussion? I think. There's an argument to be made that the only reason not to have the discussion now is because it's already started. And that's not down to this singular instance where I would say it's somewhere between him being unlucky 
and 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 a slight mistake. I definitely wouldn't say that's a ball he has to save a hundred out of a hundred times, but it's to me it's indicative of the kind of season Roman Bürki is having in the Bundesliga. And there's a real discussion to be had there if you look at the numbers. Uh, which is obviously always a bit difficult with with goalkeepers because uh, there's as as statisticians will say will will tell you there are aren't a lot of great numbers that are indicative of goalkeeper performance but still I mean he's hovering around slightly above now fifty uh, percent of shots saved which is not a very good uh, stat for a goalkeeper at at a team like Dortmund he's conceding far more goals than he should in terms of uh, expected goals. Uh, he was, when I looked at this more in depth in February, he was actually the worst goalkeeper in the Bundesliga in that regard. Um, there, are, there, there have been a number of instances this season where some something like this Kimmich goal happened. You know, something not necessarily a huge mistake, but also not something where you would say that, you know, one of the best goalkeepers in the Bundesliga, which is definitely what Dortmund should strive to have in their goal, would make... Uh, the kind of slight mistake or whatever you want to call it that that Bucky made in that instance. So uh, he hasn't had really any wow performance in the Bundesliga this season. I can't remember one really. Uh, he had the, think maybe his best one game against of the Gladbach, season. Something like that? Or maybe, I don't season? quite I don't remember. Know. I mean, the, the he, his best performance of the season, I would say, was uh, at home to Slavia Prague in the Champions League. He definitely... Got Dortmund into uh, the knockout stages there, if you like, uh, or at least played the the most important part in the Dortmund half of that. The other kudos uh, go to uh, Barcelona's second team and Inter's ineptitude. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's just not having the kind of season the 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 starting goalkeeper at Borussia Dortmund should have, in my opinion. And he's been the the undisputed number one for five years now or coming up to five years at the end of the season. He's 29 years old, and we are still talking about him in terms of lack of, uh, you know, stability in performances and him having ups and downs and, and whatnot. So I think for as much as I like him, and I think uh, regular listeners know that I've always defended him and, and probably in end of the season award kind of shows picked him once or twice to be my player of the season, uh, I think... There's there's an argument to be made that Roman Bürki hasn't proved, especially this season, that he's definitely good enough for the kind of aspirations Dortmund need uh, need to have. And and if someone's not definitely good enough, he's probably not good enough. So I think there's an argument to be made that Dortmund should look to upgrade in that position or at least have a more healthy competition than they've had in in recent years with uh, back in the day Roman Weidenfeller on his last legs with uh, <laughs> Marvin Hitz, who's a career number two at this level. Uh, I think that's, that's something they definitely should look at. And now, obviously, there are rumors coming out of England, um, which have been confirmed somewhat by, by some German outlets that there's interest from Chelsea to buy him. I don't exactly understand why Chelsea would look to add a 29-year-old uh, from from Borussia Dortmund necessarily. But I think that's something that Dortmund should definitely consider because I think there's an upgrade to be made in goal uh, on a player that I still pretty much like and, and respect as a person and I think he's good character to have but you know I think performance wise he's not been up to the standards that I would set for the, the starting goalkeeper of Borussia Dortmund 
Yeah, I don't know who said it, but uh, it it stuck to me that someone said great teams are always built on the back of great goalkeepers. Um, I I don't know if that can be confirmed 100%, but I, I still feel like um, Roman Bürki is a very good goalkeeper, but he's not a great goalkeeper. Um, that being said, I don't know if Dortmund can easily uh, draw a better alternative out of the head, but I agree more with your sentiment, Lars, um, that I, I think there, there needs to be a discussion, you know, just, you know, if if you want his, his five-year review, um, it's it's been very topsy-turvy, and uh, yesterday I was uh, scrolling through my media, I was looking for a, a, another uh, image or something, but uh, I stumbled across the the gif of uh, last season where I put the uh, Meisterschale on, on the ball that slips through his hands when he was uh, making this mistake against Bremen. Just, uh, you know, a, a reminder that uh, last season Roman Bürki in, in crunch time also had his problems like so many other Dortmund players. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Final thoughts, I, I guess you, Matthias, uh, if, if uh, you would look for an alternative, who would it be? Jan Sommer maybe? Um, no, I wouldn't pick Jan Soma necessarily, given what it would cost to, to get him. I think, uh, possibly look somewhere else. Um, I don't know. I mean, even though he's been doing really well for Freiburg, I don't know if Schwolo is much of an upgrade over Bürki. Um, I, I personally think that there are other areas of the squad that need improvement over Roman Bürki. And we also can't forget Bayern won titles with Hans-Jörg Butt in goal. So, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and he was an average Bundesliga keeper at that time. So I just, is yeah, you can have a discussion. Uh, I don't think it should be off the basis of this match. Um, I just, I'm, I'm not it. It's not my thing. I think there are significantly other areas we need to look at for the squad to improve. Um, uh, before looking at Roman Bürki in that situation. So I, I don't, I'm not really bothered with it. Well, I will make one final point. And this said Roman Weidenfeller had his, uh, Renaissance or whatever you want to call it, or, or his elevation to, I think even world class, uh, at a very late stage in his career. And Roman Bürki is 29 years old, but for a goalkeeper, that means there are still a couple of seasons left where you can, uh, achieve another level. So, um, you know, you can obviously always be hopeful that Roman Bürki will do just that. But, um, yeah, before we waste or, or spend too much time on uh, that particular subject, I think it is time to talk about Bayern's goalkeeper, uh, which in this instance, in the 58th minute, was uh, Jerome Boateng. Um, I think that was a 100% clear penalty. Uh, if there's anyone in disagreement with me please speak now um <laughs> 99 <laughs> i i'm i'm already unpopular with roman burki's stance uh so i might as well go for it i'm still not in the camp of that's stonewall 1000 percent. you have to give it a penalty <laughs> or or rather you know, Stormwall 1000%, that's a clear mistake by the referee. I think there's an argument to be made that it's in the, what is called the Toleranzbereich uh, in, in German, so the the gray area, if you like. But I will say that for obvious reasons, uh, the, the the implementation of 
VAR standards in Germany hasn't been in, in recent or at, at basically since the like midway through the first season it hasn't been it has to be a clear cut mistake anymore it, it's been hey take a look at this you might uh, switch your decision up so while I'm not sure that it, it was necessarily or it, it 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 was in the threshold of clear cut mistake 100% by the referee it was definitely in the in the area where I would say he has to take a look at it and I don't understand why that didn't take place. I'm definitely not buying the the argument that Dortmund played out the corner too quickly because <laughs> the, it was uh, the the opposite side, if you like, from the lead TV camera in Germany, which is where that um, linesman is standing, and that linesman is standing over the ball until uh, the situation is cleared. So uh, even if he didn't stand over the ball, he would certainly... Uh, make a hand signal to, um, I suppose, Torgan Azar was probably taking that corner, not to take the corner before he got clearance uh, from the main referee. So I'm fairly convinced that there was the kind of discussion between uh, the Cologne seller and uh, referee, who was it, Stieler, um, you know, about the the situation. And for whatever reason, they said, you know, play on. And I, d I don't want to feed into... Uh, the the argument of Bayern having that that innate bonus with referees and whatever I don't think that's the case I think that's been actually disproven by a scientific approach but there's still that that nagging feeling almost that would Bayern have gotten that penalty possibly and and you know there there's no real explanation for that well I First of all, I have to apologize to our listeners for, uh, as a podcast host, making the mistake to ward last a chance to make a nuanced opinion and uh, talk about scientific approaches here because it's obviously not uh, what the content anyone craves here right now. So, Matthias, go ahead and uh, tell me how you feel about that uh, non-call. <laughs> well, so I'm the non-scientific person. Um, <laughs> well, no, I'm I... assigning roles here, so... <laughs> I appreciate that. Thanks for stereotyping. Um, <laughs> I'm not. I'm, no, I just know what the listeners want to hear, and if you don't do it, I will. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Um, the a hundred percent. I mean, I believe it was a penalty. The arm went to the ball that was heading, looked pretty much like towards the bottom corner. That's an unnatural movement, extending the arm, stopping a goal court. I mean, you want to name it what it is. To me, it's a penalty. But beyond that, even if you if it's in that area of interpretation. Like La said, the fact that it wasn't even reviewed is is laughable. It's a, I mean, it's ridiculous, um, and that would have changed the course of the match. Obviously, uh, if everything else plays out the same way, it's a one-all draw. It's a point each, and things are a lot tighter. And who knows how player how teams react after that? But it changed the course of the game. The fact that he didn't even look, that nobody even said look at it. And I'm with Las in the sense of, even though I bemoan it, um, you know, I'm not a big fan of conspiracy theories. Even though in Serie A, it's 100% correct that Juve get the big calls, um, and 
But in the Bundesliga, I'm not sure about that. But a situation like this feeds that feeling, that feeling of, well, you know, it's bad enough that Bayern are that good with the 11 players to beat. We don't need the ref and the VAR officials to play against us as well. So it kind of feeds that feeling. Um, And it, it was a situation that... I just don't understand how that's not even looked at in more detail. It was like, it was just waved, waved off. And it was, when you look at the way the shot kind of careened away from the goal, I went, okay, that looked weird and very unnatural. And then they showed the replay right away. And also the commentators were like, hey, wait a minute, that, that, that could be something. And that nothing happened is um it's embarrassing to say the least well to me it looked like the ball was going in and to me it also looked like the elbow was uh, clearly blocking exactly that little uh, window where the ball would have went into the net so um i'm i'm pretty sure but obviously can't 100 percent confirm it that the ball would have gone into the net um and i don't think uh, with that much power from that position that Neuer would have saved that one um, so yeah, it's it's utterly frustrating, and I can hundred percent understand the grievances that especially Dortmund fans have. I mean, just talk about the uh, the Dante kick into Makaroy's stomach in the Champions League final, which did not result into a second yellow card, and then uh, the uh, clear goal uh, Dortmund scored in the cup final, I think by Hummels, which was over the line but wasn't given, and uh, all the uh, millions of antics of Franck Ribéry where he never was sent off, and then obviously I think. Uh, in the Super Cup, we had Joshua Kimmich stomping on Jaden Sancho's foot, which should have been a red card and uh, resulted in a ban for the first couple of Bundesliga matches or something like that, um, which also, uh, you know, wasn't reviewed or I, I don't even remember what exactly happened, but I, I felt like, um, you know, the punishment on Bayern could have been a little bit harsh in that instance. So um, there are a variety of instances where uh, Dortmund really feel disadvantaged and Bayern getting big calls. I mean... I'm sure uh, Bayern fans will more vividly remember uh, other situations where Dortmund were probably favored. But, you know, that's as, as a Dortmund fan, the emotional memories you have are obviously the ones where uh, you were wronged by the referees against Bayern. And uh, obviously that feeling that they have more than enough advantages so they don't need the, the 12 men or the, the other officials uh, helping them out a little bit more. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, ultimately, it's even worse that Arling Haaland had to be subbed off because he clattered in, uh, into Tobias Schiele and uh, injured his knee and is now out against Paderborn. So, uh, there's that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe Bayern could have, should have had the penalty when Akanji pushed Lewandowski to the ground. But I, I think that's, that's, uh, a situation where it's it's much more uh you know of a 50-50 situation and I don't really need VAR to review that one I think the referee saw it in that instance quite qu- clearly and uh, Lewandowski likes to go to the ground quite easily and that little push off eh, I don't know I'm I'm not having it but um yeah so uh back to to the other parts of the game obviously Haaland had to go off in the 72nd minute and uh, in the 80th Mario Götze came on for Lukas Piszczek and uh, I think in the final five minutes uh Witzel came on for Mahmoud Dahoud however uh, I personally don't remember too many uh big chances that Dortmund had in the final half hour where they really had to push for it um Lars uh how do you assess the uh, maybe last 30 minutes of of the game 
I'm unsure whether that was down to Dortmund's lack of, I don't know, for lack of a better word, courage or, you know, uh, guile towards the goal, but uh, or, or if it wasn't down to just Bayern having a very strong performance, a commanding uh, kind of performance. I think in general, this game was always going to be pretty difficult for Dortmund, not because it's Bayern and they have the best players in the Bundesliga by and large and, and all those things. But from, from like a tactical perspective, uh, the, the matchup always was going to favor Bayern for they could play to their usual strength in this game, whereas Dortmund had to have an outstanding performance in some other, uh, some areas, uh, because Bayern's, Bayern are incredibly good. Uh, since Hansi Flick has taken over, and especially in 2020, in in pressing and counter pressing, and so that that really uh, lended itself to the game being in Bayern's favor from the get go, if you like, and especially in the second half, they were so much in control without doing much going forward. I mean, they wasted a couple of uh, breakaway opportunities when Dortmund didn't track back with enough men which was down to the aforementioned uh, physical problems, I would assume. But, but you know, Bayern was still very much in control just by playing their, their normal stuff, if you like, even though they obviously let Dortmund have much more of the possession um, in the second half. So I don't know how to, you know, how to view the, the second half, especially with the, the, the substitutions, as we talked about earlier, the energy levels at Dortmund or in Dortmund's team kind of seemed to drop to me, which which wasn't good. But, you know, ultimately, I think the story of the game really was just how good Bayern are at the moment and not so much what Dortmund did or didn't do. Yeah, I mean, it's very easy to get shellacked by this Bayern team and... Uh... You know, especially against Dortmund, I think Bayern managed to really uh, shift into the highest gear. I maybe you can argue that in, in a different uh, sense and and with the different uh, settings, Bayern might have even played better if they had to push more for a goal or whatever. I think they in this particular game they actually were more content with the draw and and happy to sit on this one elite and to just just maturely play it down. To an extent, so I, I think had Bayern pushed harder, maybe they could have scored a couple more goals in this game. But uh, overall, I, I will say that uh, given how good Bayern are right now and um, how well they played on, on Tuesday evening, uh, that Dortmund held very well against it. And yeah, I you know you, you will need a little luck, but uh, to maybe take the uh, 20,000 foot view here a little bit, Matthias, um, I felt like maybe... Five, six years ago, um, 100% under Jurgen Klopp, I think Borussia Dortmund sort of were designed to play against Bayern Munich in, in their overall setup and philosophy. Um, now, right now, under Lucien Favre, I don't, you know, I, I wouldn't be as convinced to, to say that that uh, this Dortmund team, uh, you know, is sort of the, the antithesis or whatever, or, or sort of uh, the kryptonite against this Bayern side so what what do you make of of this take that I just put out into the world well I don't necessarily think you're wrong um I I think obviously it was a different a different time it back was then. also a different Bayern to um, it was different Bayern it was uh you know if we think it was Louis van Gaal and then of course um Heinke is coming back and it was kind of in a weird 
free build stage at that point. Um, so, and, and you had such a young, aggressive, hungry, and fearless Dortmund side. They were too young to know that they should be worried. And that <laughs> swagger from Jung Klopp, got, it was just perfect. It was the perfect constellation of a young coach that had a lot to prove, that wanted to get his philosophy across and his own energy and fearlessness. And you had young players that embodied that. I mean, you just think about someone who, from a quality of a player, was limited, Kevin Grosskreutz but who fit that perfectly and who did not give a shit as far as who he was playing against. He didn't care. He was just out there playing. And that has gotten lost over the years at Dortmund. Um, and, but that being said, you do have players that kind of remind me of that hunger and specifically two players that unfortunately were not really fit for this match. Holland, who picked up the knock, and then of course Emre Chan, who's still coming back to fitness, uh, who who have that kind of a fu mentality. Uh, we're out here to win it and get it done. And, and Guerrero said the same thing. You know, we we want to beat them. We can't beat them. We're a different side. And Dortmund did play differently with a completely different attitude. Um, but occasionally, you just still shrink in moments, uh, and it's just a shame that. You didn't have fully fit Dortmund and fully fit Bayern. I mean, Bayern were probably closer to a fully fit side than Dortmund when you think about some of the players that Dortmund was missing. Um, and so it's kind of like, ah, I wish I wish all those guys would have been healthy and then see where we are. That being said, um, it's still it, it was still really, really close. Um, playing... Uh, Delaney and Dahoud instead of Achan and Witzel, knowing that Sancho's out, knowing that Royce is out, and Holland took a knock, um, Zagadou being out, but still, even with all of those caveats, still got really, really close. So it's not, te- it's not terribly far away. And so maybe you need to look at a little bit more depth in some positions and maybe. Um, even though I don't think this match warrants the Favre discussion, maybe it's along the bookie lines of it's you have to look at the two seasons in a whole to maybe have that discussion about Lucien Favre. But maybe it is also, you know, the feeding off of the man in charge, which was a big part of the club success and since then has been impossible to replicate. Uh, maybe that's part of it. I mean, I don't know if some of the names that are bandied about would get that kind of reaction, aside from having witnessed it very closely myself, uh, Maurizio Pochettino, which I think is a complete pipe dream for Dortmund, um, as far as feeding off the energy of a manager. And Lucien Favre, just that's not who he is, and that's perfectly fine. And that, I think, can all kind of play in that, maybe grasping at straws here. Yeah, so... um Last before we may or may not talk about uh, the coach's discussion, I, I, I may want to make one or two points on it. But um, I think you've been asked on on Twitter uh, how Dortmund would uh, sort of break that Bayern monopoly. Uh, what was your response there? <laughs> well, I said they need Bayern to enter the European uh, Super League, which I'm pretty sure we are going to see in our lifetimes. 
Uh, maybe not Matthias, if if I may make that joke, but yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not. Sh- uh, obviously, that was a bit in in jest uh, on Twitter because I mean, clearly Bayern are not going to win the next, however many twenty five German championships. That's just not how professional sports work. Every dynasty has like a slip up here, and and I'm sure they are going to have that year just as well as Juventus will have and you know just as well as there's going to be another Leicester somewhere where a club that isn't among the absolute elite of that certain league is going to have that one year where everything goes their way certainly that's going to be the case at some point in Germany as well and you would think that Dortmund are going to be the the team next to Leipzig perhaps that are the most logical choice, if not Bayern, but overall, the 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 biggest difference between Bayern and Dortmund isn't, you know, individual quality of the players right now or whatever, or you know, the the mentality or whatever. It's you could argue anyway, uh, even though I don't think it's the the be all end all explainer for the differences between the clubs. But there's no denying that Bayern have a massive financial advantage over everyone in the league, including Dortmund, who are the, the closest to them. Uh, I mean, you could argue then if, if it was only finances and, and you know, the, the financial might of Bayern, then, then you could argue why aren't Dortmund much better than Leipzig or Leverkusen or Gladbach because the, the difference between those clubs and Dortmund, especially Gladbach and Leverkusen, is is about as large as the difference between Bayern and Dortmund in terms of you know what they can pay players or whatever. But you know, still, I mean, there's no denying that having 250 million more revenue per season and, and a much larger wage bill uh, probably is conducive to more success. So, I mean, until there are mechanisms in place to combat that, it's going to always be down to Bayern basically mucking it up uh, over enough time in a season. I mean, they, they've they made two relatively bad coaching appointments in recent years with Carlo Ancelotti, who's not a great fit for Bayern, and Niko Kovac, who's just not, you know, a top-tier coach, I would say. But it didn't matter because they they fired those two early enough to recover under Jupankis and Hansi Flick to uh, win the championship again. So you would need a situation in where in which either Bayern don't fire their coach or the guy taking over uh, doesn't you know have the same kind of turnaround. And as I said, I'm sure that's going to happen eventually. And and Dortmund need to be ready to pounce. Which is which they obviously are. I mean, last season they were quite close. This season they weren't too far away, even though it's seven points now. Um, but as I said, it's going to the, the the championship will run pretty much forever until there are mechanisms in place to get the teams closer. Will run through Bayern and and will depend on Bayern making enough mistakes for someone else to to pinch it from them and and we are going to see that i guarantee it but nobody knows when yeah it might actually be next season or something you know uh, it's it's not completely out of uh, the realm of possibility that dortmund can uh, keep jaden sancho and both arling Haaland together uh, for uh, the next season 
Um, I'm still not entirely sure if there's going to be a big fee for Sancho out there considering uh, the Rona <laughs> and also uh, whether Dortmund are actually willing to absolutely sell him. I feel like there was a gentleman's agreement uh, at the start of this season uh, that he, he may leave then, but uh, who knows how, how everything has changed. But um, also we mustn't forget that Bayern for many, many years now have you know a very good core of players that just keeps playing together and uh, you know uh, long-time listeners will know that uh, one of my favorite words in soccer is automatism and uh, I think that also helps that uh, Bayern really have managed to uh, keep their team together and uh, Dortmund obviously have uh, brought in a lot of new transfers at the beginning of the season and I heard a lot of talk about the 100 million that Dortmund spent um, but guess what? I think Lars just pointed out that even if Dortmund invests 100 million into players, uh, they're still short of whatever Bayern are spending. So uh, I think that needs to be kept in mind. And um, it, it was kind of weird that there was a coaching discussion about Lucy Favre straight after the game. I think it was a bit of a, uh, unfortunate how Lucy Favre, I think, talked to Sky. I haven't seen the uh, interview myself. So, um, you know, and I think the Bild Zeitung and others have floated around the name Niko Kovac. I don't think now is actually the time to replace Lucien Favre. Um, I can maybe understand where the sentiment is coming from, but uh, I think Favre needed uh, about a third of this season maybe to figure out how to play with this team success successfully. But I also do think that uh, he now actually has found a balance and... Uh, Dortmund now have a very uh, balanced squad. Obviously, there are still adjustments to be made if here and there, but overall, I think Dortmund have what it takes to be a title-winning side, uh, barring that Bayern obviously do have the same opportunities. But that being said, I think Dortmund are, in general, on, on a good track right now. So um, a, a very narrow 1-0 loss against Bayern and the 7-point deficit which uh, very easily could have been, uh, you know, much, much uh, fewer points. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not willing to, to uh, kick loose a coaching discussion right now, but uh, it's it's out there in the air. So, uh, Matthias, uh, if you have any thoughts and opinions on, on that particular discussion, be, be my guest. But I personally don't think uh, you need to disrupt uh, the, the coaching position right now in Dortmund. I actually... Uh, would appreciate the consistency at least for another season and then uh, look back and see where you are. Yeah, I I have to agree. All right, so uh, I guess uh, then we can move on to Paderborn unless you, Lars, have any final thoughts on the Bayern match. Well, you didn't actually ask me about uh, Favre and I do have somewhat uh, a slightly different opinion or just a different viewpoint, I would guess. Um, he's under contract until 2021, so next season, which makes him, quote-unquote, a lame duck. And Dortmund are usually very weary of going into a season with a lame duck head coach. Um, last time that happened was... Not go, I mean, they didn't go into the season with him, but Peter Stöger was the last uh, head coach who was coaching towards the expiration date of his contract. Um, and even in that situation, when he was clearly the caretaker interim kind of head coach, even with that situation, there were a lot of questions asked to 
Hans-Joachim Watzke, even Michael Zorc at times, uh, you know, when are you going to talk to Stöger? When are you going to make this decision? Blah, blah, blah. And they they don't like that. They don't want to have that situation. So I think that's one thing to keep in mind when it comes to Favre. Um, I, I, my, my reading on the situation, hearing a few things between or reading between the lines here and there is... They would probably like to keep him for next season, also because of you know the uncertainty in Corona times. But uh, since he's going to be a lame duck, and he probably doesn't deserve you know the kind of confidence that a contract extension right now uh, would provide him. I mean, they extended his contract after the relatively disappointing second half of last season, I would say, just because he was going to be otherwise a, a lame duck this season already. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a coaching change in the summer. And then you also always have to remember with Favre that he's a bit jumpy as a personality. He he threatened uh, leaving his post at Hertha and Gladbach. He actually followed up on on that threat at Gladbach after you know losing the first four or five games I think in 2015 the first of which was Thomas Tuchel's first game in charge at Dortmund uh, if we remember back to then uh, he there's precedent for him to leave his club obviously people are probably making too much out of that and think he's he's definitely leaving after what he said to Sky as you mentioned earlier which was kind of cryptic but probably not meant in the way that it was interpreted by Lothar Mateos and others afterwards but still there's that that's just uh, the the picture we have of Farfa and and the empirical evidence also of Farfa so that's also something to consider so All told, I would not be shocked at all if there was a coaching change, but I think there are circumstances that make that fairly difficult. Um, you have to remember that if you wanted to sign someone in a club right now, I don't see more than maybe one or two candidates in Germany, and those are more fallback options than anything else. I think if you look at Hütter at, of Frankfurt and Kofeld of Bremen, you would think right now they are not you know, electable, if you like. I mean, in terms of the the football that teams play, that, that that might generally be considered a fit with Dortmund, but obviously they are now in relegation battles and Kofeld even looks pretty much nailed on after Düsseldorf beat Schalke on, on Wednesday to actually face the drop into second Bundesliga. So I don't think you can sell, if you like, either of those two candidates. So you are probably looking at either a head coach who's currently out of a job, someone like Pochettino, haha, not going to happen. Or Kovac, uh, dear God, I hope this doesn't happen. So you are looking at someone in a league that is probably going to play into July. Uh, you know, someone from the Premier League. My, my, my favorite solution would probably be Ralf Hasenhüttl of Southampton. Uh, he's going to coach into July. Uh, Daniel Fark, who's been mentioned, is going to coach into July at Norwich and probably going to be relegated with them. So there's another question of electability there. So there's a lot of, you know, factors to consider here. I mean, do you, do you wait with uh, a summer prep like three or four weeks until you get, get Hasenhüttl out of Southampton after their season is over in England? That's for me, that's, that's hard to, hard to envision. So 
I think it's it's really a difficult situation because of coronavirus for every team that wants to make a, a coaching change. And I'm not sure Dortmund want to, but I still wouldn't be surprised if there was one, if that makes sense. So this was a, a long-winded way of saying I don't know, but I wouldn't be surprised by anything. No, I I uh, completely agree with that analysis. And uh, sorry for just sort of uh, <laughs> barging over you there. Uh, I think there was still very valuable input. Um so uh, I guess without any further ado, Lars, uh, and now uh, as you have uh, nicely asked in pre-pod, uh, please tell me everything you you know about uh, SC Paderborn 07. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I I don't remember the exact quote I said, but I, to paraphrase, I said, uh, Stefan, don't you dare ask me anything about stupid Paderborn because I don't know shit. <laughs> uh, I can tell you that Jürgen Yazula, their... Uh, Midfielder who's wearing a Peter Cech memorial helmet uh, after, I think, also suffering a skull fracture at some point. Um, he's uh, suspended for the third time this season by uh, amounting five bookings. So he's on 15 yellow cards, which is quite impressive. He's one of the Bundesliga all-time record uh, hold, uh, held by uh, Thomas Heito of Schalke, if I'm not mistaken. So that's something to aim for, I guess, as Paderborn, because quite clearly they are going to be relegated at the end of the season. I mean, they are... I already forgot, but I looked it up before the before we st before we hit recall. I was looking at the table, but I already forgot because that's how unimportant Paderborn are in my life. So uh, let's just remember back to the 3 all draw, which I didn't even see live back in November, which, funnily enough, was when everybody thought this was going to be perhaps it for Lucien Favre and then he turned things around. So maybe that's that's the same thing going to happen now. Yeah, uh, <laughs> unfortunately that guy isn't called Jürgen but Klaus Jasula, but I don't really care. His either. brother, I think I think his brother is Jürgen Jasula. I didn't even know he had a brother. So uh, Yeah, formerly of Kaiserslautern. See, there you already know much more of me of the uh, Niederung of the German football. Anyway, um, so yeah, they are uh, obviously in last place, as you just mentioned. They have uh, no Klaus. Actually, Klaus Giazula was at, at Kaiserslautern. Jürgen uh, was at Kräuterfurt, for example. There you go. So yeah, they're they're in, in they're in the bottom with nineteen points. Uh, so Bremen right now have 22, Düsseldorf in 16th place have 27. So um, yeah, being uh, eight points off, uh, you know, the relegation playoff spot, I, I think that's more or less the nail in the coffin, especially if you play against uh, Dortmund. I, I think they have drawn uh, their last three league matches, if I'm not entirely mistaken. So, um, you know, there, there might still be a tiny little bit of hope in this Paderborn side, but uh, uh, I don't know if I've said it earlier, but I feel like um, the uh, the one time uh, the lack of crowd in the Bayern game uh, for Dortmund was was really a negative was that penalty call because I feel like if twenty thirty thousand people at the same time scream for a handball whether it hit the ball or not, maybe there's uh, more inclination for referees to to uh, look it up. But uh, I feel like uh, Paderborn. Uh, without the crowd uh, are pretty much dead in the water against this Dortmund side. Uh, I don't think that Dortmund will be caught out on the counter-attack uh, a second time this season. Um, so I I do believe this is going to be um, a bit of an easier win. 
Um, Matthias, I don't know how much uh, Paderborn input you have, but uh, if if not, you can always talk about who uh, will replace Arling Haaland up front. Well, you know, as a Münsteraner, I know a lot about the Niederung of German football and uh, still have uh, actually fond youth tournament memories in the 90s against in Paderborn against Paderborn and Gütersloh and Bielefeld and all that Ostwestfalen garbage. Um, the But that's kind of where it ends. I, I kind of agree with you. I think Paderborn... They're done and dusted. As far as who will be up front instead of Erling Braut Holland, I think it wouldn't be entirely shocking to see Mario Götze, or depending on how fitness is, if Sancho is fit to play, then uh, it would probably be um, Hazard up top with Sancho and Brandt right behind him. Um, or a Gio Reyna and Brandt behind Hazard. It, you know, we've seen Hazard play up top before the season uh, with mixed results at times. I think against Parapon, it may actually not be a bad idea uh, to kind of draw them out a little bit, even though they're not necessarily known for the greatest defensive discipline uh, and lack of aggression. Obviously, they're going to play aggressive. They're going to try to hit Dortmund on the counter. I Like you, I don't think that's going to happen um, as blatantly as it did in the first time these two teams played against each other. Also, because I think Dortmund is playing at a completely different level now than they were at that point. So um, that I, I'm I, I'm cautiously thinking Azad will be the striker, kind of false nine ish ahead of two false tens. Uh, so if we just keep ahead of two false sixes, I don't know. A lot of false positions, but uh, I think that's the most likely scenario. Yeah, so Lars, obviously uh, in sports, sometimes it is so if you uh, announce a goal like Dortmund did that they want to win the championship and then uh, you get the impression, you know, it's still mathematically possible, but uh, sort of uh, that it's not going to happen, that you deflate a little bit. And uh, against last place, Paderborn, uh, who are fighting for dear life, um, obviously, this uh, can board an upset, even though I, I said that I don't see it. But um, given that uh, Leipzig are right now just two points off Dortmund and uh, Gladbach uh, are four points away, and that means also Leverkusen are four points away in fifth place. So uh, this season is, is a lot of things for Dortmund, but it's certainly not over because they... Uh, do not want to finish in, in fifth place that I think would be the absolute worst case scenario. So um, how do you think Dortmund will approach this game? Do you think that the chance of deflation that I just mentioned is actually a big one with this side right now? And uh, are there any other uh, line-up, lineup shots that you want to uh, give out? Well, starting with the last bit, I'm, I would put... I mean, I don't bet on sports, but I would maybe put a fiver on Gio Reyna getting his first start. Uh, Favre obviously wanted to start him uh, in the Revere Derby of all fixtures. So, I mean, he's he definitely thinks uh, Reyna is good to go. And, and kind of starting Sancho after this whole debate now would, would seem like somewhat of a reactionary move. I don't know if Favre cares about this stuff, but... I think there's there's enough of a case to be made for Reyna deserving his first start for that to make sense and and Sancho can can come on 
uh, during the second half. And and as for uh, you, kind of circumvented the word trap game there, uh, <laughs> Stefan. Which is uh, you don't what, mention that word on on this uh, on this podcast because when you do, shit happens. <laughs> uh, I mean, when when we already talk about automatisms and and Matthias mentions Tom Brady and it's going about de deflation later. I mean, I I think kind of the entire episode is a bit off the rails and maybe it's the beer next to me. But um, uh, uh, to me, the, I think the the one factor that probably works in Dortmund's favor almost is that the first leg was such a shambles for them and that they had to scramble at home on a Friday evening. Uh, I didn't watch it live because I was away, but I remember vividly following it on some sort of ticker website. Uh, and, and they had to scramble for a late uh, three-all draw by, I think, Marco Reus scored the, the final goal in, in, in added time. Uh, I think that works in their favor this time because there's... There's no way they don't talk about the first meeting with Paderborn uh, before this game, so everybody's senses, senses should be heightened. And as you already mentioned, I mean the Dortmund season isn't over. Uh, they they are they they haven't uh, sewn up uh, qualifying for the Champions League, and obviously this is uh, the. I I don't think uh, it's the final game of the match day because Leipzig and Cologne are playing on Monday night, but they will know how Leverkusen went uh, got on, how Gladbach got on. So there's a there's a good chance they they know they need a result against Paderborn, which I mean is a given anyway because it's Paderborn, the last place team in the league, who haven't won at home in quite a while. Uh, so I I really don't think this is the kind of game where Dortmund trip up. First of all, I don't think this show went off the rails at all, to be honest. I, I think uh, we're uh, running a very tight ship here. And uh, to continue in that way, uh, I think it is time for predictions. So, uh, Matthias, you may go first. Uh, I'm going to say 4-1 to Dortmund. Lars? 4-2 to Dortmund. All right. I uh, also predict Dortmund scoring four, but I don't see Paderborn scoring. So uh, even though they have quite a good attack and uh, are most certainly doing better right now than Schalke in the Rückrunde, because Schalke are last after losing yet another game against Düsseldorf. So uh, there you go. Um, so four nothing uh, win for me. So um, yeah, I I guess that uh, wraps it all up for us and. Uh, <laughs> We, we've talked a lot about uh, how this uh, title race is over, but I've seen earlier that the two games that uh, Hansi Flick has lost so far came against Bayer Leverkusen and Gladbach. So uh, if history were to repeat itself there, uh, Dortmund need to win the next three games and they are one point behind Bayern. So um, that's that's all I'm going to say. So don't get your hopes up, but uh, I don't think it's 100% lost yet. So... Um, Just just uh, gonna put it out there before we go. But anyway, uh, Matthias, I think this is a very good time to wrap it up finally. So please tell our listeners how to get in touch with you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Matthiasuk. Very well. Lars? Uh, after finding Matthias, you can find me at Lars Pollmann. <laughs> Or alternatively at Yellow Wallpots, as we found out recently. Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, I, do you also get the, the appearance fee or can I keep that? Uh, no, you, you can keep that. So uh, you can find me at Stefan Butzko and uh, 
all of us at Yellow Warpod on Twitter and Facebook. And if you want to subscribe to the show in various means, then uh, please do that via our YouTube channel, which is, I think, if you just type in Yellow Warpod, you will find it. And uh, otherwise, of course, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Amazon, and uh, all the other ways you can subscribe to a podcast, our RSS feed is where our written content is on theyellowwall.net where you can find it. So um, as always, if you want to contribute financially, please go to patreon.com slash theyellowwall. And I want to thank all of our patrons for contributing. That is very nice of you guys and girls. So um, yeah, with that all being said, uh, as always, thank you for listening, especially after a one loss against Bayern. And I can see that a lot of people actually don't want to hear about Dortmund afterwards. So uh, if you did and uh, hear this, uh, outro thank you very much and uh, all i will have to say is thank you for listening until next week goodbye